Hi guys, welcome back to Vibing in Valentino. So happy to have you here. Before we get into the guest episode this week, I just want to remind you, you can purchase my eight-week workout program called Vibing Strong. You can purchase my at-home workout set. It's called the Goodie Bag. It is pink, it is cute, but it'll kick your ass. Or you can book a one-hour consult call with me. We can talk about anything you want for an hour. It could be, you know, boy advice, friendship advice, level up femininity advice, workout nutrition tips, anything you want for an hour. You can do all of that on my website, vibinginvalentino.com. Okay, let's get right into our conversation this week. guest this week is a certified financial planner and managing partner at Savvy Women Wealth Management. I am very excited to have her on and get her advice on how we can keep our finances in check. Catherine Magania, welcome to Vibing in Valentino. I'm super excited to be a part of this and uh, share my story. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, all the basics. Sure. Um, so I grew up in Hacienda Heights, which is outside of Los Angeles. I've only lived in California my whole life. Um, when I was growing up, my parents had a successful business, and I had a real, a real promising future. Um, they had put money away for college for me. Well, unfortunately, early um, in the 90s, there was a recession, and my parents actually lost their business and their home. And so at a very young age, I was actually forced to make a lot of decisions for myself and my future. Um, I actually helped put myself through college. And after college, I ended up getting into the financial services business. Um, I've been in, in this uh, profession for over 20 years. I started when I was very young. Um, and when I got there, I was asked to get coffee. And so here I was, put myself through school and college and, um, and was asked to get coffee. And so I thought, wow, if that's how they're treating me, then how are they treating the other women and wives that are coming to the office? Um, so really early on in my career, I had a passion for helping women learn about money and investing and um, just didn't want them to experience that. That's amazing. That's amazing. I think that it's such an important, almost like niche category. And of course, we're going to get into, you know, particularly what makes women's finances different than <laughs> you know, quote unquote, regular finances. But I do think that so much of our upbringing, especially, you know, I think for me being Asian, a lot of us have been taught to rely on the man to be the breadwinner. So we never really had to focus so much on like the numbers going on in our yeah. lives, you know? And it's interesting because I think when we're young, I mean, I, my, when I was growing up, my parents, we didn't really talk about money and all of this. And so I think it's just, it's not uncommon for a lot of families and people to, or I mean, people not really know where to begin or because these conversations really didn't happen, you know, at a young age. Right. Um, thank, thankfully for me, my sister actually was, she's 13 years older than I am. And she actually got into this, uh, my, in the business that I'm in, and introduced me at a very young age. So when I was 11 years old, I used to go with her to the office and help her stuff envelopes and do all these little things. So um, I, luckily, I at a young age got exposed to the financial world. But but you're right; you know, these are things that you really don't talk about. Yeah, and especially like you would think they should teach it in schools, but they don't, yeah. and that's like a whole different issue. It's so weird. Yeah. Here I am, like playing the recorder, but I don't know anything about taxes. Like that <laughs> doesn't so make good. any sense. Yeah. <laughs> 
So how did you get started in, you know, financial services in the first place? So, um, like I mentioned, my sister, she um, started working in the financial services industry. And so um, when I was young, I went with her um, when I was 11 years old. I remember going with her just, you know, spring break or summers. And um, she had worked in downtown Los Angeles. And I remember going with her, taking the bus, and we'd go. And she just helped me file, and I'd file or stuff envelopes and do kind of basic things for her. But at that very young age, I got exposed to kind of the business world. Um, and I was really intrigued. Um, and so I ended up going to um, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and had a, ended up getting a, a business degree there. And after college, I actually ended up um, selling copiers for a company for a year. And that was very, very tough. It was very challenging. Um, but it was an amazing experience for me because when I got into financial services, I realized, okay, I've already gotten some doors slammed on my face through uh, copier sales. And so um, when I got into financial services, I actually came in more on the administrative side, meaning um, I kind of came in and helped some other advisors with their business. And during that time, I ended up getting some different licenses and I knew I wanted to be an advisor, but I just wasn't ready. Um, or, or they didn't think I was ready. So, um, so it took me a couple of years and I ended up um, getting the licenses. I'd come back and, and at night and market for other advisors. And, and so within a few years, I actually became a financial advisor and, and started building my business and pretty much um, started from scratch, started with nothing um, and have built a uh, successful business along the way and uh, very blessed and have a lot of mentors that have helped me through, through my career. What in particular makes women's finances different from regular finances? So it's interesting. Um, at the end of the day, we all have access to the same investments, right. tools, research, everything. We all have access. But what's different is how we approach our money. And so what we find is, and this isn't one size fits all, but in general, what we find is women tend to approach things a little differently than men. But sometimes, you know, the financial services uh, is, is really, um, you know, it's been more male dominated for so many years. And so for many years, women were forced to kind of look at it from that perspective. But the reality, women want to know, okay, what's my purpose? What's my why? How am I communicating? Do I understand what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's so many, there's so much more involved. Um, and so once again, you know, we have access to the same stuff, but it's how we approach it, how we view it. And maybe it's not one meeting, maybe it's two or three meetings, or maybe we want to know a little bit more before we make that decision. And so um, I actually do a, um, a workshop called Savvy Woman Invest on Purpose, where we really take some time to discover kind of and do some exercises to think about, okay, what's your purpose and why? Mm -hmm. Because everything else comes into place after you kind of figure out, okay, what's the first step? You being, you know, obviously woman, so you understand yes. the emotional aspect of, of finances a lot more than if I were to get like a male financial planner home. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I actually have my partner. He's a male. I, I, there's men and women here um, in my, at my firm. And, but we all um, together come together and want to help support women. So I think it's um, kind of that mindset of, okay, what are the needs and how can we, what can we do to support yeah. um, or, or just understanding that, that how we view things might be a little different. And yes, I, you know, I, uh, being a woman and it's, um, it's interesting because in our field, it's changed over the years, but it's probably about 20, 25% female mm -hmm. advisors and planners. Um, yeah. And so we still have some work ahead of us. Um, you know, I'd love to see more female yeah. uh, professionals in this field, but I think, um, you know, in time, hopefully it'll be 50-50. But, you know, once again, I, I have seen, at least from um, my experience, there are some men that 
want to help women, um, but you know, it just kind of depends on what, you know, where they're coming from. Yeah. What is like the biggest difference that you would see in how women approach finances? I think it really comes to um, the understanding and, and communication. Okay. Um, I feel that um, you know, yes, so you might have an advisor that has the expertise, which is great. I mean, obviously, you want to work with somebody that's knowledgeable. Right. But you also want to know what's the relationship. How am I, How are they going to communicate with me? Or are they just going to try and call me and sell me an investment? Or do they really I care about me as a person and my goals and what is it that I need? Because to me, the investing comes second. It's really figuring out. Gosh, you know, once again, what's the purpose, what's the why, and what can you do to help support um, those goals? Mm-hmm. And then the investing comes second. So, you know, once again, it's um, not a one-size-fits-all. It's yeah. very, um, you know, it's one, it's very personalized and very relationship-driven. Mm-hmm. And so I feel that um, in working with somebody, you have to make sure, okay, what, is there chemistry? Do I feel comfortable? Yeah. And sure. it's okay to ask questions. I mean, it, you know, it's it's your money. And so, yes, we do this and this is what we, you know, we feel comfortable. But the reality is, is um, you know, we, we, I definitely believe in helping women learn about their money and helping them be comfortable with what they're doing. Speaking of it's okay to ask questions, I have a lot yes. for you. <laughs> sure, <laughs> of course. Because I am at a complete loss when it comes to this topic. And again, I really think that schools should be teaching us proper money management from a young age so first off managing student loans and student loan forgiveness how do you recommend somebody who is you know maybe still working up the corporate ranks somebody is making maybe 50k a year to make significant progress or begin to make progress in repayment or elimination of student debt so being a certified financial planner professional, I um, do look at this for um, some of our clients. And once again, everyone's at a different phase in their lives and their careers. Right. But definitely managing those expenses and those debts are, is important. Um, so what you do is you really have to look at, okay, what is my income? Like you mentioned, if it's 50000 then you look at, okay, what are my expenses? How, you know, if we see a money coming in and what's going out. And really looking at, you know, um, you know, we want you to live your life. Obviously, we want you to enjoy life. But the reality is, you know, if it's a priority to pay off your debt, then you need to make it a priority and really look at, okay, what, how am I spending? What am I spending? What are my expenses? And are there ways that I can put money aside on a monthly basis to pay down that debt? Mm-hmm. And so once you have a plan and you know, okay, this is how much I need to put away. Maybe it's one or 200 or $300 a month. And then you have you kind of put that out and say, okay, this is how long it's going to take me. Um, if you want to pay it off in five years or ten years, and, and once again, it depends on how much debt that you have. Right. Um, there's there is also the uh, public service loan forgiveness, and that's really for those that are working for governments or nonprofit organizations that they qualify for some forgiveness. Um, we're also seeing some right now. Um, there's talks of potentially maybe ten thousand dollars of student loan forgiveness. It hasn't been approved yet, but there's um, some things that are on the table right now. Um, so it just, once again, you kind of have to pay attention and say, okay, what's out there? Um, but if you're just trying to handle it yourself, it can be done. Um, even myself, I had some student loans I had to pay off, um, and I just you know laid out a plan and, and monthly put that money aside and paid it off. And it's so rewarding when it's paid off. Yeah. Um, but I know it can be daunting and, yeah. you know, if you have it and it's just over, you know, it's hanging over your shoulders. Right. Um, and that's why I think it's you know important to... You know, look at you know once again look at your budget and come up with a plan to to really take action um and you know once again when every time you hear budget it's like oh i don't you know i don't want to live on a budget but yeah. 
when you come from a perspective of lifestyle, okay, uh, you make choices. You make choices for your lifestyle. Well, maybe you cut in one area, but you're okay doing something else. So it's just, um, you know, once again, creating what's best for you. Is there interest on um, student loans that you have to pay? Yes. So um, there are, you know, once you finish college, there is the interest that you pay on student loans. Um, and then I'm not a tax advisor, but there are um, some tax deductions for, for the interest that, that you're being pay, um, charged. So Got that's it. something you want to look at with your tax advisor. Got it. How do you suggest your clients to budget their income for, you know, significant life events? For example, um, for as, as a woman, maybe like a wedding or, you know, like a, a newborn or right now this whole pandemic that is so unexpected. Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, once again, I was talking about lifestyle and creating uh, yeah. that budget. But the thing is, it's not a, I just do it today and I let it go. It's something you have to constantly look at. So whether it be monthly or quarterly, you know, it is something that you have to make some adjustments. And yes, I would agree. Uh, at least with the pandemic, we saw, you know, everyone's expensive, expenses have changed. I mean, mm -hmm. people aren't going out as much. They're not traveling. Um, so this might be a way right now is, okay, I'm going to stock a little more money away. Um, and then once again, you know, if there's a wedding or a home or some type of major um, event or goal, then you have to back into, okay, what is that goal? And then how much do I need to save to reach that goal? And, and what's the time period? Is it is it a six-month goal? Is it a two-year goal? Um, and so, you know, that's where some planning comes into play. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also looking at, you know, when you do work with a, um, a professional, they'll look at your budget and they'll say, okay, they might, you know, there might some, be some things that stand out to us that uh, we can suggest. You know, there's some ways that you can save, um, you know, and just some little tweaks here and there that you may not even realize. Um, and once again, what we find is, uh, as people go through this exercise of looking at their expenses and their income, it's amazing when you start actually looking at it that like, oh, wow, I didn't realize I was spending money on XYZ or buying right. this coffee or whatever that is. And then maybe you might be a little more aware of your, your purchases going forward. And once again, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer of live, you want to live life, but you also want to make sure you're putting money away for yourself too. Yeah. What is your policy on emergency funds? Like... Should you should we always at any one moment kind of have a certain amount tucked away, or anything like that? What is what is your guideline for that? Yeah, so typically uh, emergency funds is three to six months of your monthly expenses put aside. Mm -hmm. um, three months if you have consistent income. So if maybe you're in a, a, a position where you have income that's coming in pretty consistently from your employer. Um, six months if perhaps you're maybe you're in sales or if your income's not as consistent. And once again, you put that money aside, um, and it's not invested in the, in the stock or bond market because you want you want it to be liquid or you want to have access to it. So potentially, um, you do want to have that emergency fund set aside once again in case there's some type of um, you know job change or illness or something that comes up. So that's pretty much the rule of thumb: uh, is three to six months. You know, the hard part with having money set aside during that time in, in cash or savings is. Um, you know, interest rates are so, so low here in the U.S. And we have, um, you know, money market can be, you know, less than 1% or 0.01 or 0.10. And uh, whereas inflation, which means um, 
you know, kind of the price of goods, it's, um, it's, up, it's at 1.4. So mm -hmm. if you have money set aside, you may not be keeping up with inflation. Yeah. But you want to have, you know, that's just a little an emergency fund. After that, you want to have money set aside in your investments and um, that's working for you. So you don't suggest us putting the bulk of our money in a savings account, right? It's just, so it's, I, it's not, yeah. it, we're losing money doing that. Um, so basically you are, when you have money in savings and it's, um, you have, you know, what's the purpose? So once again, what's the overall plan? If you have money set aside in an emergency fund um, and you, you know, want that liquid separate from that, then yes, I would suggest, you know, you want your money working for you. You don't want to yeah. keep it in savings yeah. because like I mentioned, you know, you're not keeping up with inflation. So you're basically losing purchasing power, which means every day that your money is in savings and if inflation's going up, then your 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 dollar your, the value of your dollar dollar is lower. So yeah. you have to be mindful of that. And but you know, once you do look at okay, well, I want my put my money to work. I want to invest that money. Um, you know, there's so many different types of investments that are available to you, depending on kind of what's your risk and and what what's the purpose. And that's called passive income, correct? So there is um, passive income strategies. There's so many different ways you can look at uh, passive income. I mean, there's some that look at real estate, and um, but for and, uh, the stock and bond market, passive income, uh, there tends to be dividend income stocks. Mm -hmm. So we have some stocks where you can buy and the, the stocks actually kick off dividends. Yeah. And what they do is they um, pay out to their shareholders dividends, which is either cash or you can reinvest those dividends mm -hmm. and buy more stock. And so that's kind of like passive income because you're, once again, you have, you want the stock to appreciate meaning go up in value. Right. But you also are collecting a little um, income off of these stocks. So right. that's more, would be considered passive income. Or maybe a CD, which CDs are really low. So it's it, it probably not, you know, it's, the rates are really, really low, but t uh, potentially you can get income off of CDs or bonds or other uh, investments too. But I do like the dividend paying stocks. I think that's a great um, investment for those that are looking for income and really understand um, some of the risks that are involved. And once again, um, when you look at investing there, you look at kind of what's the market risk and what's the volatility. And mm -hmm. um, but you know, once again, you have to kind of factor in what's the time frame of my investment and what am I trying to accomplish? Um, and with that is, you know, if you are investing, um, there is some risk, but you know, once again, you have to understand those risks and be okay with that. Can you ever make enough off of dividends alone to live off of? Well, it's interesting. Um, we have a dividend income strategy portfolio that we have um, for some of our clients. And, um, you know, it's all different ages, but those that are in retirement, um, they tend to like those dividends because they are looking for that income. So yes, uh, potentially you could live off the dividends, this, the, the um, income off the stock dividends. However, when you look at investing, um, you know you, you that's one strategy. So we usually like to be a little more diversified, meaning um, we want access to some other investments. So for right. instance, um, this last year we saw growth stocks, meaning all those technology stocks and all you know went uh, did very well. Mm -hmm. And so those were more growth stocks than say the dividend paying stocks. So once again, uh, growth and value, they actually fall in and out of favor, meaning sometimes growth stocks do well, sometimes value stocks do well. Okay. And so um, having a combination, I think, would serve you well. But if the purpose is I just want income um, off the investments and, you know, dividend income is a great strategy. But depending on um, kind of the investor, they may not, you know, want, they may want some bonds or other things in their portfolio. So, 
Usually it's, um, you know, for us, it's looking at individual clients and what are their needs and how, what, you know, what's the best strategy. And so it's, um, even though we like certain things, it just has to tie into what's the overall plan and objective for that client. Got it. Okay. So okay. let's say my listeners are usually very similar to me. So let's say somebody okay. um, mid-20s to late 20s. <laughs> Um, income of like, like median income, like maybe what, like $60,000 a year and a female. So if we were looking to start an investment portfolio, where should we start? Like what is, what is, give us some specifics. So once again, um, I kind of get the age and the income, but, but separate from that is everybody's different on how much risk they're willing to take. So for example, if the stock market is going up, great. But if it goes down, say 10, 15 or 20 percent or even 40 percent, I mean, you know, earlier this year in March when when the pandemic, when we hit where the markets were down pretty significant. And so it kind of have to look at, okay, what's your comfort level? Because if if the markets are down, you don't want to sell when the markets are down. So Mm -hmm. you want to go into these things knowing, okay, I'm okay if it goes down, but I know it's going to come back, you know, potentially could come back in value. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be changing strategies along the way. So once again, kind of um, the, one of the main things is figuring out what is um, your kind of risk tolerance and what's your, because uh, some, you know, I know some young investors that don't want to take a lot of risk. And right. so, but separate from all that, if you were kind of getting started um, and depending on how much money you have, so if you were just kind of starting on your own or, you know, sometimes people have inheritances or other things, but if you're just starting on your own, um, and I would probably suggest looking at either mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, mm-hmm. because that's a great way to get started. Um, and the, what these are is pretty much a basket of different stocks or bonds, um, So and there's different strategies. So, for example, you know, we're talking about that dividend strategy. Well, there could be a mutual fund that has a dividend income strategy, or you can get an ETF with an index or uh, an exchange-traded fund. The difference between a mutual fund and an exchange-traded fund is um, an exchange-traded fund, actually, you could trade um, while the market is open, Okay. whereas a mutual fund trades at the end of the day. So, for example, if you own a mutual fund and you want to sell it, it's going to, it's actually, you're going to, it's going to be sold at the close of the business day versus, or the mark for the market versus an exchange traded fund. If you called me, you know, now I could go on the market, I go while the market open and do the trade and get a price at this moment. So once again, if you're just getting started, I think, um, mutual funds or exchange traded funds are a great kind of place to start or look at. Okay. Um, there's also different strategies. So there are active managers and passive managers um, and there's some philosophies about you know which one are better and it's really looking at um, you know what's the purpose so we you know we tend to follow more active managers because we, t- we kind of look at the managers and we um, make sure that it's in line with our overall objective and we have what's called a more of a tactical approach meaning what's happening in the world what's happening in the market so where do we think there's some opportunities uh, but it, it, that's you know what our clients are you know come to us for. So, you know, if I were just getting started out, I would con- definitely consider some mutual funds or, e- or exchange traded funds. Um, and once again, being diversified, you know, there's a- you have access to some international, some um, value stocks, some growth stocks, and and potentially you know maybe some bonds if depending if you um, you know what your risk level is. Got it. Okay, so exchange traded funds. Um, it's like basically. 
if you subscribe to like something like Ipsy or FabFitFun where you get like a thing with a bunch of stuff in it, right? Like a, a bunch yeah. of different samples <laughs> yeah. in it. Okay, I'm trying to explain it my, <laughs> yeah, that's in like cool. my that language. Is yes. that about right? Is that about right? Did I get it wrong? So you get access. So there's so many different investments out there and you have access to so many different things. Um, so that's, you know, it, it's one thing if you want to do it on your own, if you're going to do it yourself or if you're working with somebody. If you're working with somebody, they kind of navigate through, you know, the financial planning aspect and, once again, what's the purpose and why? And then kind of figure out, okay, what investments make sense? Okay. Um, but if you are, you know, if you're not at that point and you just want to go buy something, um, you know, there are some, you know, S&P 500 um, ETFs or funds, but... At some point, when you're building that up, if you're looking for more opportunities or more growth, you know that's where some individual stocks or some other sector ETFs come into play. Um, and so it's just you know, once again um, depends on where you're at and where, what you're looking for. Got it. Okay. So an ETF is just like you get a bunch of samples, and then if you end up liking a sample, you go buy the individual stock, which is like you buy the full size product. Yeah, so an ETF is a pool, is like a, a basket of stocks. Uh -huh. So say you have a, a basket of stocks, but then you're now you're in this um, pool of basket stocks with, with other investors, and maybe that. Um, but if you decide you want to own some of those individual stocks within that basket, you could buy those individual stocks um, separately. So about, right. the reason why you get pulled together sometimes with ETFs and mutual funds is because you're trying to minimize the risk of right. potentially of a, of a company going down or something happening mm -hmm. to a stock. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why you tend to do more baskets of uh, funds or ETFs. Got it. Got it, got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because you get a smaller slice of the pie. So yeah. when this shit hits the fan, you don't get affected nearly as much. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. yeah, you can cuss on here too, by the way. If it oh, helps okay. you explain <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I got you, I girl. I like that. <laughs> so, okay, can you explain taxes to me? Because this might be like a really clueless, basic question. But so come tax time, some people get money back and some people actually have to pay money. So what ha what is going on there? Okay. So I do tax planning through financial planning. So I'm not a tax advisor, but yeah. I do look at tax returns and all of that. But mm -hmm. um, let me just kind of explain. So there are ways that you can um, reduce your taxable income. And for example, say you're putting money in a retirement plan. Um, and if you're putting money pre-tax, then that means it can reduce your taxable income. So there's different things people do. Sometimes they buy real estate and they have the mortgage interest is getting deducted. Um, there's also some standard deductions or itemized deductions. So it depends on kind of where you're at income-wise and if you're putting money into retirement plans um, or if you're doing any charitable giving. So there are some ways that you can reduce your taxable income. It's just kind of figuring out um, where are you at now and, and it, are you um, self-employed or are you an employee? Because if you're self-employed, potentially you have some more deductions uh, versus if you're an employee. So. There are ways to reduce your taxable income, uh, as well as there are some investment strategies, um, depending on your income level, that you can consider, um, you know, once again, that, that can affect your taxes. So, um, you know, it's paying taxes, unfortunately, in, in the world we live in, I mean, it's, it's just part of um, the reality of, you know, of working, but if there's all, and I'm always constantly looking for ways to reduce my taxes as well. Right, right. So if we do the write-offs properly, we get more money back or we pay back less to the IRS? 
So then you owe less in taxes. So if you have some more, if you have write-offs or if you're putting money, so say you put money in a retirement plan and then it, it's, um, it's pre-tax money. So that means it reduces your taxable income. So got then it. you are, you're paying less in taxes. Got it. Got it. Got it. Do you have any like little, like, I know you're not um, specifically with taxes, but do you have any like little secrets that we can do in our write-offs to maximize our return or minimize what we owe? Yeah, you know, one of the things I look at um, potentially for clients when they're looking at when they invest their mm -hmm. money uh, from their the money that we manage is um, it's a strategy called tax lost harvesting, which okay. means that we look at um, are, is there an, a stock that's actually grown or has a lot of gains? And do we have something that has some losses and potentially we sell the two to reduce the, uh, the taxes that are owed? So when you have, um, I mentioned earlier the IRA putting money in uh, retirement plans, but there's also, if you, um, in addition to that, you can put money in taxable accounts, meaning say you set up an individual account or a joint account and a taxable account. Well, the money that you generate, so say the money, the investments grow, and when you sell those investments, there are either long-term or short-term gains. But there are ways to, once again, to offset some of that if you sell some uh, positions to offset the gains, if you sell a position that has a loss. So there's ways to uh, do what's called tax loss harvesting of okay. your investments to kind of help reduce some of your taxable um, you know, income. So there are some strategies in place. It just depends on, you know, once again, is it, an, is it a retirement plan or is it a taxable account? Uh, and then once you sell these investments, there are some time periods that you have to wait to go ahead and buy it back um, if you decide to buy the position back. And with like stocks and other investments, you don't actually get taxed on it until you cash out, right? Well, um, the gain of the position. So say you buy a stock and it appreciates. So then when mm -hmm. you sell the stock, so if it's over a year, then it's a long-term capital gain. If it's uh, under a year, then it's ordinary income. Um, so that's a short-term gain. And then along the way, if, it, if the um, either a mutual fund sometimes does capital gain distributions or a stock may pay a dividend, you may uh, there are taxes that are going to be owed for some of those um, you know, items. But when Got you it. actually sell and buy a position, when you actually buy a stock and sell a stock, the, the, if you if it, there's a gain, there are going to be some uh, potentially some uh, either short term or long term gains you have to pay. Got Unfortunately, it. the IRS wants their money. They don't want you to think yeah. if you're gaining. They want they want a piece of it. Yeah, <laughs> especially with all the debt going on, they're on I it. Oh, <laughs> I know. It's they, are, crazy. they are not letting a penny go, honey. Um, so I've never had a, a corporate job in my life. So I okay. want to know what is a 401k and. Does that go away if you quit a company? So 401k plans are retirement plan accounts that employer may offer. Okay. Um, and there's a lot more details, but just more in general, um, there could be a match, which means if you put money in that your employer may match, but there may not be a match. It just depends on each plan. Okay. There's also some certain ages. Um, and then once you put money in a plan, um, there's what's called a vesting schedule, which means if you, um, you know, if, if they add money for you, you have to be there for a certain period of time. Otherwise, uh, they'll take the money back. And so mm -hmm. there's kind of some behind the scenes rules. But big picture, um, when you have a 401k plan and you have access to one, I definitely suggest you consider putting money in, especially if they're matching. And then um, when you look at 401k plans, there's also a traditional and a Roth. And what that means is, if, like, say you have a traditional 401k plan, 
So you put money into the um, to the plan. So your your employer actually will deduct um, the money from your paycheck and put the money into the four hundred one k plan uh, through payroll. And then if they match, they'll put the match in. If they don't, then there's no match. Um, or you can do pre-tax or you can do after-tax, which is a Roth 401k. And not all employers offer it, but it's pretty common now. But if there is a Roth portion, what that means, it's after-tax money that goes into the Roth 401k, not pre-tax. So then you get less. later. So it means that you're not, you're pay, you might, you're paying taxes now. So if you're in a lower tax bracket now, then potentially a Roth 401k might be uh, a good option for you. Got it. Because later, when you're 72 and you have to take money you uh, out of a retirement account, uh -huh. um, which is one of the rules, if it's in a 401k plan or it gets moved to an IRA, say you're retired, then you have to take what's called a minimum distribution. It's a required minimum distribution. If it's in a Roth 401k and you move it to a Roth IRA, then there's no required minimum distribution. And then, so there's no taxes. So basically, it's coming out tax-free. So you, put, um, so there are some, you kind of have to look at what's my income. Is it better? Do I think my taxes are going to be higher now or later? Or, yeah. Usually those that are, you know, if I were, um, you know, my 20s and based on your income, and I'd probably look at a Roth 401k, consider that now, mm -hmm. because down the line, potentially, um, you know, might be making more money. Yeah. And then you don't have to take the money out. So, but you also, you want to make sure you shift that to a pre-tax 401k, um, you know, as your income goes up later. So there are some strategies and, and things that you could do. I think that will help. Um, and once again, I think when you're younger, if, you know, stocking money or in a, a Roth 401k, I think it's a great strategy. And I mean, I think that a lot of us don't even really think about it Yeah. <laughs> until, you know, a little later on. So as somebody who wants to be a mom one day, what age would you recommend, like, starting to teach the kids, you know, about things like money management and things like this? Yeah. So that's a good question. I think um, for me, my kids have learned at a very young age. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they, and I've been in the business, but I think it's good. There's some good lessons. I mean, yeah. we have our daughter, I think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm the mother of twins, um, boy-girl twins, Phoenix and Madison, her, her 12 years old. But our daughter was dying, dying, dying to have a dog. Like, she just mm -hmm. was, uh, kept hitting us up, hitting us up. <gasps> and so, finally, my husband said, okay, well, if you pay for half of it, we'll pay for half. And, um, and so, she actually saved money. Like, she, any birthday, and she washed cars and dogs. And, wow. And we got, yeah. And so, she, we've had the dog now for two years. And, you know, for a couple of years, she saved all of her money. And she went and bought, you know, paid half for the dog, and and it's her dog. I mean, she contributes now to some of the toys and things like that. And, oh my um, god! But yeah, so it was amazing. So here she was. We gave her a goal. You know, that was her goal. She saved the money. She has her little. She actually has these little tins, and right, and, and she puts her money. She has her dog money, her stock money, and then her fun money, and um, and so she ends up saving, and then. When she had the dog, and then she's like, what? You know, she's like, has this money. She's like, what am I going to, she wants, she needs like goals. Like, so even kids at a young age need to know, you know, what's the purpose and why. And yeah. so for me, um, you know, and, you know, teaching the kids at a young age, I think it helps. I think, it, you know, we're setting the foundation for them to, you know, really know, okay, what am I doing and why am I doing this? Because with giving her that goal, she worked so hard and saved so much for many years. And it was so rewarding to see her 
you know, with her puppy. And now, you know, he's a couple years old now. And so I think if you can teach kids young and give them goals um, and, you know, teach them how to make money. And then, you know, we also teach them, you know, I'm teaching my kids, you know, they've been buying, you know, stocks and, you know, things for many years. And I teach them with the basics. I'm like, oh, you know, my son, Phoenix, my son likes the Xbox. So he has a couple of shares of Microsoft. You know, oh, my daughter at the time, yeah, they have um, Disney stock and just, uh, you know, they liked McDonald's. And so I just bought like little things that they would know and, yeah. and just so they got used to it. So now they're like, oh, okay, when then they get, you know, when they have money, like, oh, we need to put some money aside because, and it takes me, you know, us, my husband and I being on them. So, you know, we're, oh, make, make sure you put your money away. And mm-hmm. But now, you know, when we share with them, oh, did you know your stock went up or uh, so it's it's been a good experience. I think if any parent that has kids, if you could teach them about money and saving and earning and at, at a young age, I think yeah. it will help um, you know their future. Yeah, and obviously you don't have to go into details about like interest rates and stuff like that, but just the basic concept yeah. oh, of yeah. spending less than what is coming in, I think is so exactly. important. Yeah. yeah. And my son, he struggles, and I, we have to teach him because he loves just—he loves spending money on the Xbox yeah. and all the games. And so it's like, okay, yeah, you know, he would blow all his money. But so we're really, really have to work with him a little, a little harder. But yeah, he, he's, he gets it. <laughs> what do you think are the best investments that we can make as women when it comes to shopping purchases? <laughs> would okay. you say? Would you say jewelry? Would you say like <laughs> I like, like jewelry? Me yeah. too. <laughs> So kind of going back to the lifestyle, um, kind of looking at your living expenses, your uh-huh. lifestyle expenses, and then your luxury expenses. I, you know, obviously everyone's at a different place, but I would think, you know, as you're looking at those different expenses, I think, you know, shopping and, you know, would probably, you know, for jewelry or something would be a luxury expense. And right. Once again, if that's what you want, then, you know, have a goal, save for it and plan for it. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, um, probably about 10 years ago now, I ended up um, doing some kind of personal development classes, and I'm always learning. And um, and one of the things that we did was uh, I actually ended up buying myself a pair of diamond earrings. Mm-hmm. And it's something that when I put them on to this day, I, you know, I have a different feeling about myself, and I know what I did to get it. And just, you know, it was just one, once again, if you can put some meaning behind things and purpose and um, and so I'm not about, you know, saying no to everything. It's about, um, having a plan and, and, and get, you know, figuring out, you know, not just using a credit card, but you know, really looking at, okay, this is what I want and I'm going to get it. And this is yeah. how I get there. So I definitely, I'm a big believer, you know, living life and enjoying life, but you know, having a plan in place is, is really important. Yeah. And I think with jewelry, because it, it if you're getting like gold, like solid gold or diamonds, yeah. It's a commodity, right? Which is actually a part of your portfolio. <laughs> is that well, a stretch? <laughs> yeah. So there are, um, it's interesting. So yes, you can buy, um, there are some either individual stocks or you can buy, um, there's an ETF, an exchange traded fund, uh, GLD is for gold that, mm-hmm. that we look at. And that's more of a hedging uh, strategy. Okay. So yes, so there's ways that you can invest um, you know, outside of just buying gold or jewelry actual, yeah. Uh, yeah and you can buy little smaller amounts too so yeah. yes there's so many things out there gosh it's amazing I just blows me away sometimes of all the investments and everything that's out there yeah um and so you know I could see where you know like you said where do I start where do I begin and and you know by sometimes it's just yeah sometimes it's just just do it like you just yeah. got to take that step and and do it because 
um, you know, they're, I think in the long run, you'll, you'll benefit. Yeah. I want your opinion on just two things that are very different. So first of all, vintage, like exclusive designer stuff, like maybe vintage Chanel or like Birkin bags Mm -hmm. or like super high end jewelry, like Cartier bracelets and stuff like that. Their resale value actually is pretty stable. Like some people actually profit Mm -hmm. off of reselling their vintage pieces. What is your opinion on using those as investments? Yeah, um, you know, I have a um, one of the portfolio managers here actually looks at eclectic retail and mm-hmm. things like that, um, but it's more of individual stocks. Okay. Um, and so I think things fall in and out of favor. I'm um, I'm actually not that knowledgeable with what you're talking about. So the vintage and, and the you know the, the pricing and all that. So mm-hmm. I'd have to look at. Um, you know, what's the risk? What's the investment? Yeah. You know, once again, how does it tie into everything that you're doing? So, yeah. um, you know, I, it may have a, you know, it may be a small portion. I, you know, I'm yeah. just not as versed in that. But, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, you know, if there's ways to make money, absolutely. I'm, I'm a big believer of it. But yeah. you know all the risk and, and, and the return. So yeah. if it sounds too good to be true, sometimes it is. So right. just be careful. Yeah. But, you know, are there other ways to make money? Absolutely. There are other Absolutely. businesses, or, you know, and that can complement what you're doing. And mm-hmm. so I'm, you know, I'm very a big believer of being entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, the other thing is cryptocurrency. With Bitcoin mm-hmm. going up and like all time highs this week as we're recording this, what mm-hmm. are, are you thinking about like a bubble or are you thinking that this is kind of here to stay you know we've had this conversation for many years um and at least it's interesting because a lot of clients have been asking about it and then it went up and then it actually fell pretty dramatically a few weeks ago and then here it's gone back up again um we have you know tesla made an investment or um we have a bank and, and so you know, it's something that's on our radar. Um, we haven't fully integrated that to our, our investment strategies, but there is an exchange-traded fund that we are considering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our big thing in the past was, was it regulated? Do we have access? I mean, when, right. you know, once again, it's having control. But I do think that this is um, it's making headwinds, and I don't think it's going to go away. So I definitely um, think it's something to consider or look at. And, and once again, how does it tie in overall with everything else that I'm doing? You know, once again, if you see this, this if it's in such a um, volatile investment right now that, you know, we just have to, you know, you just have to be careful if you are going to invest a little bit, that's okay. But, you know, once again, how much are you investing? Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's, um, I'm really starting to see it um, come into play. And I definitely think it's, it, it'll be around. It's just, you know, once again, getting it a little more regulated. Yeah. Do you think that once it becomes more regulated, the demand will actually go up? I think so. I think there's a. Sh- I think we're starting to see a little bit of a shift. I think people are online, and you know, I I, I definitely think it potentially it could. Um, yeah, I think we're. You know, it would have been nice to buy it many years ago now, but um, you know, once again, I still think it's, yeah. it's it's pretty volatile. But I think there's potential for some growth. Yeah, yeah. I've heard about Bitcoin for years now, but it just sounded like something that was not real. So yeah. I was like, I'm not about to put my money in that, but. You know, now that it is becoming a thing, um, yeah, it's it's definitely looking pretty tempting. Yeah, I'd say now than it would it a couple of years ago. So sure. definitely something something on our on my radar for sure. Amazing. For the rest of twenty twenty one, what is some financial advice that you want us ladies to keep in mind? Well, I think as we look at um, the rest of the year, you know, once again, I I, I talked a lot about uh, financial planning and 
I definitely think it's important to look at, you know, what are your goals for this year? You know, what is it that you want to do? I mean, do you want to buy a home? Is it a new car? Is it a wedding? Or, um, you know, what is it? What's, what is it that you want to accomplish? Um, and then kind of look at, you know, kind of revisit, gosh, what am I spending? And, and what am I doing to save and put that money away? Because I think that we, um, you know, we day to day, we are, we're busy, we're doing our lives. And, and so for some reason, money gets put on the back burner. I mean, mm-hmm. this, for whatever reason, people do their hair, their yeah. dental, but, but when it comes to finance, it's like, everyone really? just is like, oh, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, and so, or do you want, you know, eventually when things open up, do we want to travel? Like, what is it that you want to do? And uh, it's okay to, you know, to have fun and enjoy life, but I really think it's important to kind of know, you know, what's the big picture, what's the plan. And uh, so I think it's important to kind of, as we're at the beginning of the year, you know, look at your goals, look at, you know, what investments are out there for me and, um, you know, what's the purpose. Yeah. And figure out what your bare minimum monthly expenses are, I think is important too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you just know baseline, like I need to be bringing in at least this much or I'm going to be homeless. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, please tell our listeners where they can find you and work with you. Sure. Um, So once again, I'm a certified financial planner professional with Savvy Woman Wealth Management. And for compliance reasons, I just have to mention um, we're an SEC registered investment advisory firm. Mm -hmm. And if you'd like to contact me, you can reach us at our website, and that's SavvyUp.com. That's SavvyUp.com. Or you can call me. My direct line is 760-692-5700. That's 760-692-5700. I'm happy to set up a a 30-minute call just to see if we're a good fit or answer any questions. So thank you so much for having me. And this has been a lot of fun. And I hope um, you learned something today. And I'm so just passionate about helping women learn about money and finances. And just there's so much that's involved. But I just want it to be... um, fun and engaging and, and um, less daunting. So of course. thank you so much. Thank you, Catherine, <laughs> for an hour of your time. You answered so many of my questions and I learned so much from you. And, you know, I, you know, a lot of the questions were maybe a little left out of left field, um, but I was truly asking questions that I wanted to know and I'm sure I'm like not alone. You know? So yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners will have loved to have gotten your advice on a lot of the stuff. Thank you so much, girl. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Okay. Bye. Bye. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Katherine Magania. If you guys enjoyed this episode or any other previous episodes, please go ahead and give me five stars on iTunes. It helps me out more than you know and have a wonderful weekend and I will catch you next Friday on Fighting in Valentino. Bye!